we live we live at a time um, of kind of celebrity, and we live in a time of uh, a lie that goes uh, they're more anointed than I am. There's a lot of Christian celebrity. There's something in the human being that longs for recognition, and the, and and particularly the human being that is fallen in nature longs for recognition. There's also something very healthy about longing for recognition, but that's the cry for love and the cry for being a son or a daughter. And where the son and daughter is is wounded, the recognition is looked for in performance. And how many people like me on Facebook, and how many people applaud me and all that stuff and I think we get really stuck in that kind of place and many many of us go I'm just not good enough and God's starting point is um, no you're not you never are that's why you need a savior that's why I came into the world God's starting point has never been um, I'm looking for somebody who's amazing so that I can use them his starting point is, is anybody available? So when Tish was saying, you know, angels step forward, and I'm going to announce next week, and we're going to have a feedback, we also have um, decided and agreed and are setting in place uh, the Oosthuizen is going to Haiti for t- two months after Thanksgiving, and we've got a guy, John Edmondson, here who's running a project in Haiti, and it's a cool story, and I'm going to put it in trail notes this week. Um, and every single time, whether it's India or whether it's um, a safe house or whether it's Haiti, we have the people who volunteer and then they, we always have people who say, well, we're wasting our money. Or we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that. And I'm not, don't, don't overreact to that, all right? You're allowed to disagree and you're allowed to have question marks. All I'm saying is, it's never perfect. And whoever volunteers, including myself, we're never perfect. And God, how many of you feel anointed, by the way? How many of you feel anointed? That's a question. It's not a trick question. It's a simple question. I'm going to encourage you this morning. So about five of you feel anointed. That's what, the, that's what it sounds like. So you're some sick puppies, that's for sure. How many of you believe in Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, you're anointed. An anointing has got nothing to do, tell this to the person next to you, it's got absolutely nothing to do with your feelings. I mean, I don't feel like being up here necessarily talking to you today, but I am anointed. Wayne gave testimony to that. Waking up early in the morning going, what? and he says, Wayne, just keep quiet, I will do it for you. And the only time Wayne's going to know whether God's going to come through is when he's standing up here. Anointing is something, I, I want to talk about anointing this morning. It's, a very, it's, often, it's often used, it's misused a lot as well, which is, I want your anointing. And we go and touch people's garments and, and all the famous celebrities, we go and say, I want your mantle. It's all Christian nonsense, by the way. It's all nonsense. It's Christian hype. It's wrong teaching. It's wrong thinking. It's wrong theology. There's only one anointing, and that's from God. And you're only going to look for somebody else's anointing because you don't believe he's anointed you, so that's screwed up thinking. Because you think they're more holy and they're more worthy and they're more worthy and nobody's worthy. You just look behind the scenes. Everybody's got their stuff. All God's saying is, is anybody available? If God, 
takes dust and he makes man, breathes life into him, makes woman. He's creative. He can take what is not and make it into something extraordinary. So anointing began in the Old Testament where oil was used. It was olive oil. Think about olive oil. We're going to talk about oil a lot today. Oil, what is it? It's an olive in this instance. Very, very common in the Middle East. Very often the the, the physical um, gives you a metaphor for the supernatural. What is an olive? It's just a little fruit. How do you get oil? You have to crush the olive. Or you eat it both ways. The olive hasn't a chance. The olive dies. The olive gives up its life. Which is a metaphor for everything about God. And so, things were anointed in the, um, in the temple and they were to be set apart as holy to be used by God. And then the, the priests were anointed and they were to be set apart to be used by God. And then eventually kings were anointed to be set apart and to be, to be used by God. In the Old Testament, certain people are anointed. And uh, the most famous maybe is, is, is David. And we read a bit about that. That you know, David, Samuel comes along and he's going to anoint uh, the, the next king of Israel. And they look. It's, we've been through such a sort of discerning process of how do we support the Eustazans and how we do, do we support the, the house and everything else. And it's one thing to say God is different and he's supernatural, but when it comes down to it, it's so hard for us. It's so hard for us not to look at the person and to look at the, the skills and to look at all those things. When, when God says, where's, where's your other son? Because all the, all the number one candidates came in. There's a, there's a, a funny uh, thing about the resumes for the, for the disciples, and, and you've probably seen it, where somebody says, um, Dear sir, we have looked at all your, your, your apostles and all the people you have put forward to be on your board, and uh, basically Peter is unreliable. John and, and They go through the whole list and say, We have concluded that the only person who is actually reliable and worthy of your trust is Judas. And our ways are just not, you know, God's ways. And so he's got a sense of humor sometimes because we get so uptight. You know, all the things that you will tell God discount you, he will just smile at you and say, you're not such a big deal. I can overcome that. In fact, the more broken you are, the, the brighter I shine. The more confident you are in yourself and your anointing, the dimmer my light shines because there's so much of you. So relax. I can pick every one of you up and use you in a most incredible way. You are anointed. And David wasn't apparently much to look at. Well, they, they said he was like a little runt, I guess, but uh, he, was out in, he was out looking after the sheep and he comes and he gets anointed in front of his brothers and in front of everybody. This is important. And after he's anointed, of course, David struts around saying, I'm going to be king of Israel. I'm anointed. God's blessed me. He's given me this great gift. I'm anointed. Of course, he doesn't. What happens? He goes back and looks after the sheep. Anointing like prophecy is not a badge of honor to say you've arrived. Anointing is merely God saying, with me, you're going to do something powerful. If you walk with me. 
So what does David do? David goes and he look back to, and looks after his sheep, and then uh, he he uh, is called. David never actually says, "Here am I, anointed." So Saul is having demonic dreams and stuff, and they say, "Well, David, uh, let our Lord." Let me see a little, little. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for somebody who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. And they go and find David. And David comes and every time he uh, plays the liar, the, the demonic leaves. Everything that David did, he had worked on when he was looking after the sheep. Do not despise doing things in secret. Or doing things not in the public face. Because too often what happens is people are wanting to be up here without having done that. And up here becomes the fulfillment of something that's not too anointed. It's ego. And so David displays this humility. And there's a, phrase, there's a, there's a part that I love. And, and, and this is what I'm trying to encourage you in is... Be encouraged where you are and give everything you are where you are and then see what happens. David, verse 17 of chapter 17, Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commanders of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Jesse is speaking to his anointed son. Take sandwiches and cheese and see how they're doing. What happens if anointing looks like that? I'm anointed. I don't take sandwiches to my brothers. Find somebody who's not as anointed. What a waste of a gift. The anointing flourishes with David because he took sandwiches to his brothers. I don't think David felt particularly anointed at that time. I don't think he even knew what it really meant. David goes to the battlefield he delivers what he's called to deliver and he says, what's going on here? And they say, well, there's this guy who keeps on shouting out taunts to Israel and everything else and, and David's anointing rises. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to speak against our God? And the anointing upon him rises in the moment to give him strength and boldness to become a warrior way beyond his years to slay Goliath. And so he does. And then he spends many, many years wandering around the wilderness, being chased by a, dem dem a, a demonic king while he's waiting for that prophetic word and that anointing to be fulfilled in terms of his destiny as king. Not everything works out as we think it should, day by day. It's easy to become discouraged. Or it's easy to go anointing. What do you think anointing looks like? It looks like many, many, many things. At the end of the day, it looks like Jesus. The shepherds, you remember David wrote um, the 23rd Psalm and he said, He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. The shepherds used to anoint the sheep as they came in at night, just put oil over their heads. 
And it was basically to get rid of the the fleas and ticks that would go into their ears and cause infection. What if the anointing of a sheep, the sheep said, oh, you're messing up my hair. I don't like the feeling of this. I'm looking awful tonight. It was functional at that point. It was to uh, protect the sheep from disease. And somehow that became used in terms of the laying on of hands to anoint people. It's also used as a, the word of God anoints, and Jesus, the most famous one, is uh, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. As the Father sent me, so sent I you. I'm just throwing out some random thoughts. Where I'm going to is ultimately everyone is anointed who, who receives Jesus as Lord. In the Old Testament, there were certain people who were anointed, prophets and priests, certain people. So there were special people. The anointing of God was on them. In the New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit is poured out, he anoints all people with his Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me becomes the Spirit of the Lord is upon you as you say yes to Jesus. He gives you his inheritance. He gives you his presence. He gives you his power. And one of the things Graham Cook is very good at teaching us is saying, you know, and, I, and the reason we worship is to heighten our sensitivity to the things that already are. So, for instance, we often talk about, God, we need your presence, we need your presence. And I think God says, I know. I'm here. The, the point is not more of God's presence coming. The, more, the point is God's presence being released. And that comes with our awareness. That's so we need to be reminded because sometimes we can get distracted, we can get discouraged and we can't even see God or feel God. But you still say, but God's still present. It's just like gravity. It's always present. But I heighten my awareness because when I live with a heightened awareness, then it has power. See, there are two ways of praying with people. The one is, I don't have enough faith to pray for you. And the other is, I have the presence of God and the anointing of God's Spirit in me, and so I speak healing over you. The one is very self-conscious about my humanity. The other is very self-conscious of who I contain. And one of the things we keep on doing is trying to defer, well, you pray because I can't. And then the needy in us go, okay, I will because you can't. And we get this hierarchy of who can and who can't rather than actually encouraging others to say, everybody can. Grow in it. Which is what the disciples did. Nothing happens without practice. I mean, what happens if anointing is like a seed? It's got to be nurtured. It's got to grow. What happens if what David was anointed with as king when he was a boy, he wasn't ready to be king. He was anointed to be king and had to grow into it. And through all the circumstances of life, God built this warrior. What happens if God has anointed you and you're waiting for a feeling or you're waiting to feel comfortable or you're waiting for something that's never going to come? Because God says, I've already given you what you need, now do something. But don't feel anointed. You won't. 
You won't feel anointed till you're in the moment you need the anointing released. So you have to walk in faith. And when you're not sure of whether you're going to have that anointing or not, well, he always gets. The spiritual battle is really simple. The Satan says, You know who you are. Nobody's going to listen to you. I mean, look at Moses. He was anointed and he asked more questions trying to get out of what God asked him to do than anybody else in the scriptures. I'm old, I stutter, I don't do well with Egypt. I'm, I, I ran all the excuses. And God just says, Moses, you're going and I'm going with you. There are lots of verses in the New Testament about anointing. You know, the most famous is the disciples all being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul talks quite a lot about it in his letters. 2 Corinthians 1.21 In him it has always been yes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us in the glory, to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Why would he do that? Why would he put his spirit in you guaranteeing what is to come? He's putting his spirit in us because he's giving us a taste of heaven and he's giving us a taste of his presence and his power. And he's saying to every human being who follows Jesus and says yes to him, he says, why would it be different for you than it was for me? That Jesus Christ himself could not do any ministry on earth as in heaven without the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, so so send I you. So why would I not anoint you with the same Spirit so that you can do some of the things and many of the things that I do? What I'm trying to get you to learn, says Jesus, is how to lean into me and rely on me and not rely on yourselves. I actually don't want you to be so spiritual half the time. I want you to come to terms with who you are and who you're not. I want you to come to terms with who I am And then you will have a freedom because the presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not only empowers you, it also begins to slide down your head and get rid of your ticks and your bugs and the things that infect you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is not just about blessing everybody else. It's about releasing wholeness and holiness into us. It's about awakening us to stuff that discourages us or is sin. The presence of the Holy Spirit purifies us. The presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of God brings us to repentance. That's why in worship there's time to just wait for God to actually encourage us or God to convict us or God to say, that stuff, that that attitude you have needs to stop. And he doesn't do it accusing, he just says, it's getting in the way. You can't hold on to this and ask me for that. As you let go of this, I will give you that. See, God likes us. And he doesn't like us when we're good. He likes us, period. I've said this before. You know those of you who have children. When I talk to my children, I don't start by all the things they've screwed up on so I can actually see if I like them or not. There is no co- there's no question. And in the process of the encounter, the process of the conversation and the being, being present for one another, the stuff that's negative sometimes comes out, but it comes out in order to be released or confessed or talked about. It doesn't come out in any sense of condemnation. God is your friend. 
And what he's busy doing among us is saying, I want to release you before you think you're ready. Get over yourself. And for some of us, he's saying, get out of the way so that others can actually get some of the to do stuff. One of the brilliant things about small groups is it provides a context in which you can be known and you can begin to grow in confidence that everyone has their stuff. Probably the one, number one thing in Jericho Road that I most detest is faking it, is pretending. My life is also in a shambles right now. I have no idea whether my marriage is going to work out or not. I could run away and hide, which would kill me. Or I can say, that's where it is. I know what God's will is, but I can't make things happen. And I cannot stand up here and bear my soul to you because it would be dishonoring to Cheryl and it wouldn't be right. So all I can confess to you is the struggle and then I've lived long enough in this valley with a lack of reputation to go, I don't care what you think beyond that. I am accountable to the bishop, I'm accountable to the elders, I'm accountable to more people most of you have breakfast with. And at that point, if I can live with myself, with integrity and with my team, I don't care. I really don't. Because it says more of the sickness of the people who accuse than it does to me. I just go, I wouldn't like to live with your attitude. And seeing I've counseled half this valley, I go, I wouldn't cast stones if I were you. We're all in need of grace. I love grace. I love grace. Some people think, oh, you're gullible. No, not gullible. I just like grace. I don't mind being taken advantage of if I choose to be taken advantage of so that you can possibly experience some things. That you know, For some of us, we could say, well, I could have told you, but you wouldn't listen, so live it and then we'll see. But everyone who follows Jesus is anointed. The disciples were a motley crew of people. They weren't complete when Jesus filled them, anointed them. We say this every week, they were full of stuff. But the only way you're going to grow as a Christian is to say, Lord, here I am, full of my stuff, but also I have you and I want to be used. A real spiritual sort of sidestep is to go into a Bible study. I always get in trouble for this because I'm kind of joking. What I mean by that is I go into a Bible study so that I can find out from the Word, but I don't actually do anything because I don't know enough yet. And I always want to say, have the Bible study and then do something. Because you're never going to know enough to make yourself ready. It's going to be both and all the time. So, you've been baptized into Jesus. There's a, there's a, a fra- take a piece of paper, take a piece of, out of this paper. Uh, you know, this is you. And when you become a Christian... Paul says you are clothed in Christ. So you become in Jesus. So now when you speak, the whole fullness of God's Spirit is around you. The whole Spirit of His kingdom is around you. Now the thing that's really unpopular is, no, no, but I want to be an independent little scrap of paper. So I belong to the invisible church. And I have my invisible friends and I eat invisible food and I live an invisible life. You see, when you're into Jesus, you're into something substantial. 
And where is Jesus? Jesus actually is in his word and his word is in his body and his body is manifest in the local church. It's a hallmark of anointing. Because the Spirit of God that anoints people doesn't go against the teachings of Jesus. So you can't be anointed and be independent. That's not the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of you. The hallmark of the Spirit of Jesus is gathering people together, walking in, 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 in unity with one another. Does that make sense? The problem is, I don't want to walk in unity with you because I know you and you're a pain. And God says, that's why I'm anointing you. I'm anointing you to have an extraordinary measure of grace and love with the people around you. And by the way, I've anointed them too because you're not all that great yourself. So you need the Spirit of God to tolerate the body of Christ. And that's why I say it every week. Go out as a solo, good luck, but you're a nuisance. You're a nuisance, you're dysfunctional, and you're hurt more than you know. You've missed me, haven't you? Oh, that was meant to be a joke. So I had this analogy of, you know, uh, an engine needs oil to function. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. But then I thought of dipstick, and I wasn't sure where to go with that. So other, other, other than... I think if God had a spiritual dipstick and he sort of put it into us, he might go, this engine hasn't even been used. I mean, I anointed you when you were 20 years old or 15 years old when you first gave your heart to me and it's hardly been used. You just spent your whole life reading up the manual about the engine. You can quote it, but you don't use it. Well, let's play this video quickly. This is uh, Reinhard Bonker. Very short clip to make the point that you'll believe him but you won't believe me so I'll use him. Isn't that complicated? See, one of the, thi- one of, one of the other ways we stop is, is um, I'm praying about it. What are you praying for? I'm praying to know what God's will is. So he's the control freak. What do you want to do? Well, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Have you asked the people who know you well? Yeah, what do you, and, and what do you come up with? Well, this is what I think, but I'm scared. I'm not sure I'm ready yet. Most of us don't need to pray so much like that. We just need to talk to one another. We've over-spiritualized praying as a great avoidance from being accountable or actually having conversations. And so everything takes a lot longer because God wants us to work things out together interdependently. Of course you pray. That you can say, Lord, show us. And then we talk and we say, what's happening? And we, we, we work things out. It's not complicated. What do you want to do? Remember at the beginning in the garden, uh, God talks to Adam and he gets Adam along and says, you can name the animals. And if you read the account in Genesis, he says, and he waited to see what Adam would call the animals. And you read nothing there about it. He says, Adam, 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 you're getting it wrong. I wanted to call the elephant a hippopotamus and a hippopotamus an elephant, but you've made them different now. There's nothing you read about God rebuking Adam for getting the wrong name for his created beings. I think he just delighted in saying, Adam, what are you going to call this one? Sure, that sounds good. See, partnership with God means that he 
walks with us like a father with a child. A good father. He's not a control freak. He says, well, we can do that or we can do that. Lord, what is your perfect will? I don't have a perfect will for your life. I've given you life. And I want a relationship. And we could do this or we could do that or we could do that. Let's just do something. And if it's wrong, I'll still love you and I'll bring you back anywhere. You are anointed with the Spirit of God. It says in John, it's another misquoted one about you are anointed so you don't need a teacher. Have you read that part? So you strut around saying, I don't need a teacher. I quote John. He just says, I don't need a teacher. I'm filled with the Spirit. And you go, well, that's a stupid interpretation. Because he's really saying the Holy Spirit in you will bear witness to what is good teaching and what isn't good teaching. So just be aware of the fallen ego in us that wants to twist the teachings of Jesus into something that validates us as big experts. We always need each other. One warning. Simon the sorcerer. You remember him? In Acts 8, he wanted the anointing without the relationship. He came to Peter. He saw that Peter and the others were healing people and they were doing wonderful things. And he said to them, uh, uh, when I read this, I thought of you, Tish. Um, when, I, when, <laughs> when he... When he <laughs> I should shut up, probably. Might get into trouble. No, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Simon, is, you know, he follows them around and he... And he, and he followed them because he was amazed for a long time. With his, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria accepted the word, they sent the disciples down, Peter and John. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands and he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you. I kept saying, Find the gold, find the gold. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You can't buy the anointing. You can't earn it. You could just receive it. So, my encouragement to us today is to actually trust God with what He's already deposited in us. And understand this. Um, you, none of us are going to see God work in any might or power unless we're available for Him to use us. So, He only anoints and releases anointing in order that stuff can happen. So what you want to do is say, Lord, I want opportunities to trust you so that I can, I know that I can't do this, but you can. So I'm going to give you permission to enable me to be uncomfortable so that you can grow me into a place where I'm learning how to be something that I never thought I could be, but I'm not waiting anymore. Am I making sense? That'll make that, that'll that'll vary with every person here. Just the question is, what are you doing for Jesus? What are you doing for Jesus? What does He want to do? There's no guilt in this, because whatever He wants to do in you and through you, and what He wants you to see, the olive had to sacrifice its life, and you're going to have to sacrifice something. 
But at the end of the day, the flow of oil is going to be worth it. So, how do you do this? I'm finishing now. Paul wrote in Ephesians, the place where anointing flows is an, is an atmosphere of faith and love. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Read, read Ephesians 1, how the anointing unfolds, but it unfolds in an atmosphere of love and faith. Love means you can practice, you are accepted, you are delighted in as a person. Warts and all. Faith means you take steps that don't necessarily make sense, but you're going to see what happens when you jump. And you're going to do it in the context of others, because sometimes when you jump you're dangerous, and it's not God, it's you. might be you enthusiastic, but humility is about, is it okay for me to jump? Yeah, absolutely, we'll catch you. Pretty much like a Tish said about the angel, I'll be a lifeguard. That is such a cool picture. Because we're not going to kill you if you try. We're going to actually walk together. And so when, even when we talk about the Ostasans going to Haiti, and they might be, oh, well, I don't know why they're going. Say, so, well, we're going to be lifeguards for them. Because we couldn't find any perfect people. It was so frustrating. We couldn't find any perfect people, so we ended up with them. And those who were close to perfect, they didn't want to go. Sorry. Let's stand. I think um, this, is, this, is, uh, this is very cool, very serious, very not serious. I mean, you are anointed. In other words... Everything you need for your life is supplied by Jesus right now. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. He's already paid the price. So it's a free gift. Remember when the woman who was at the well, she was disreputable. She'd had six husbands. She, she was a mess. And they talked about living water. And Jesus said this. He said, if you knew who it was who spoke to you. And then he said this. He said, if you asked, I would give. And she was the most disqualified person you could imagine. God loves to give his children himself. So I wondered whether today it might be good to sort of offer at least a prophetic act of uh, anointing with oil. And anointing with oil and saying, you know, you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. Ask him what he wants to do. So I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to ask the elders to come up and I'm going to give you oil and I'm going to sing I pulled your leg, you can anoint me. And, and Michael, you can come up as well, please. And the worship team could probably go and stand over there because I think we'll anoint you before you go up so just because you need to be anointed. Um, here you go. And you can do anointing today. Leave the base alone. No, no, just come here, guys. The elders come here first. Michael, you can be in that as well. So you have the Holy Spirit. We bless what he's doing. You have the Holy Spirit. We bless what you're doing. Stay here, Michael. You have the Holy Spirit. We bless what you're doing.
You can say whatever you like. You have the Holy Spirit. You're anointed. You're blessed what you're doing, Jesus. You're going to anoint me, please. So what I'm going to invite you to do is go and anoint uh, the worship team and then just walk around here. And as we have worship, you can go to an elder anywhere scattered around this place and just actually let them symbolically anoint you to, to affirm something. God will move among us. And as, as we do that, we're going to enter into a bit of worship and just ask the Holy Spirit to take us further with him into what he has already released into us. Some of you might be a little nervous. That's okay. Get over yourself. But I'm not saying that in a harsh way. I'm just saying nervousness is part of what God does. So press through the nervousness, the shyness, the awkwardness, the embarrassment. And so the, the elders are just, you just wander through here, so maybe stand at the back and the front and the sides and, and, and people just go up there and, and just be anointed. And if there are people who are going to do praying today, if you go back there, uh, we can also pray for healing. There's somebody with a hip, their right hip. Uh, God wants to heal you. There's also something to do with eyesight. The left eye, a cataract. But you don't have to wait for a word of knowledge. God actually will do whatever you want him to do. So, I, Father, we just welcome your Holy Spirit. We, thank, we want to just, in this moment, receive all that you've already released. And to call up among ourselves all that you're already activating. So it's over to you. Take hold of everything that's offered. In Jesus' name, let's go. Thank you, Lord.